Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the headline would say that there's nothing that voters dislike more than politicians who break their promises, except for maybe politicians who keep their promises. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. The ever-delicate balancing act, President Biden, of course, has fulfilled several campaign promises since taking office, including withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, forgiving student debt. The question is, is fulfilling those promises or breaking those promises good or bad? The answer might be yes, but to help us understand all of that, Charles Lane's editorial writer and columnist at The Washington Post has a great piece on this today. Uh, Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so so break this down for us. We, we always talk about, and the headline is always that a, you know, a campaign promise broken is, is the end, uh, but sometimes we end up punishing politicians for keeping their promises. Yes. The other, excuse me, the other example I used was the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, which isn't obviously something a president did, but certainly fulfills on the Republican side a longstanding commitment to the voters uh, who support them. And of course, there's been a tremendous backlash against it, and it's really helped the Democrats this time. The point I was trying to make is that when you take a longstanding issue that's been kind of unresolved, and you suddenly resolve it in a very stark way, pro or con, you always trigger some unintended consequences that both in policy and in politics uh, can uh, be more negative than you anticipated. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting thing to go down. The the unintended consequences, and and some of that is just your own people don't have as much to fundraise off of, (laughs) whether you're on the left or the right. You did a great job of breaking down the the withdrawal from Afghanistan, again, in in contrast to uh, what happened with with Roe v. Wade and how that played out. Give us some sense of that on the president's side in terms of how that has both helped and hurt uh, President Biden, and then we'll get into what comes next. Well, it's clear from the public opinion data that there was a real break downwards in President Biden's job approval rating in one year ago, almost exactly uh, in August of 2021, because of the debacle in Afghanistan. And of course, that isn't exactly what you would have predicted, because, of course, the idea of withdrawing from Afghanistan, supported by his predecessor, President Trump, was on the surface very popular. But when you actually put it into operation and people saw such ugly things and, you know, it became instead of a hypothetical situation, a real situation Mm -hmm. where the costs were very, very visible. But maybe the benefits and there certainly are many are much more kind of diffuse through the society. It creates can create a crisis that boomerangs against the person who did it. And like the abortion ruling. There were people trying to talk Joe Biden out of it for that very reason. Mm -hmm. And he 
overruled their advice, just as the majority in the Supreme Court uh, didn't listen to John Roberts, the chief justice who was trying to get them to do more middle path. And here we are. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things you talk about in your in your piece that I just love is is sometimes the that that consistency of, of the battle kind of yields to a pragmatism and and how that plays out. And, and it's so fascinating to me uh, that sometimes in our politics and we're equal opportunity offenders on this show to the left and to the right uh, and to the right and to the left in the middle uh, that that so often we talk and allow our politicians to talk in these sweeping generalities. So to your point, uh, whether it's Afghanistan or Roe, the sweeping generalities always sound really good and really easy, and and it's get it's easy to rally around and do a fundraising email off of. But when you get into the practical tacticals of it, uh, the results can be very different. Hello, I think we dropped the call. Oh, oh you still there? I'm st- I'm still oh. there. Yeah, you were, <laughs> you were asking about the practicalities that sometimes get lost in the sweeping generalities. Yes, yes. And and that's why I went to my third example, which is President Biden keeping his promise to forgive a lot of student loans. And there are a lot of details still to be worked out in that, um, possibly a court challenge. Um, and again, this is something actually he really agonized over this because he could see the upside and the downside to it. And I think the difference here is that the benefits this time are really concentrated. Everybody who gets the money is going to be aware of it. Whereas the costs are just spread out over the mass of people who might or might not even realize they're being made to pay for it through taxes. And I think ultimately that may be what tipped the balance in favor of keeping that promise for President Biden. Uh, is it, that idea that if it's spread out over so many, some may not even notice that uh, there was an impact on them while helping this uh, the select group who, who does receive the, the cancellation of that debt. Yes, and a lot of public policy gets made that way, right? If you have an intense group of people who would benefit very substantially and very directly, they often call the shot over what we might call just sort of the general public. Yeah, yeah, so fascinating there. Uh, So as we look to the president's speech tonight, I wanted to get your uh, take on this, Charles. Uh, some of the, some of these very issues are, are going to be uh, kind of the the backdrop of that as the president tries to really frame the conversation uh, heading into a pretty intense midterm election season. Uh, how do you think the president is going to try to balance, walk that line, dealing with promises kept and impact of promises kept? I think he is feeling some momentum now, mm-hmm. largely because the uh, abortion decision has played out politically. I think it's fair to say now very favorably to Democrats. They feel that this gives them a theme that they can accuse Republicans of attacking people's freedoms um, and having, you know, the Republicans have an agenda that is not only to, you know, invade the Capitol on January 6th, but then to come for your individual rights next. And I suspect he is going to give a speech that paints a very stark picture to voters uh, of, you know, what the risks are to them of voting Republican in the fall. I think the risk to him is that he came into office pledging to unite the country. And he's got to find a way to pitch this in a unifying way and not a partisan one. 
Yeah, I think that will be the great test for the night. Uh, I, uh, I've made the prediction. I think the the most used word in the speech will probably be extreme, <laughs> <laughs> or MAGA, or MAGA, yeah. MAGA, and probably those two words together, extreme MAGA. I yeah. think will probably be yeah. the the sequence of the day. Anything else that you're watching for, especially as we look to the fall and uh, and how some of these things might play out in terms of messaging? It's so fascinating for me to look at the. The, the principles, the policies, and the politics of it from a messaging strategy. Uh, anything else that you're watching, Charles? Well, the location itself is very indicative. It's, mm. it's Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. Yeah. So the, that is probably one of, if not the most crucial battleground in all of these battlegrounds, in part because the Republican candidate for governor, Doug Mastriano, has been such a you know emphatic pro-Trump uh, a candidate who has made all sorts of declarations about how the election was stolen in Pennsylvania and how he's going to prevent that ever from happening in the future. And I think Democrats uh, are, you know, they'd always be worried about losing a state like Pennsylvania, but I think they're especially worried that it could fall into the hands of a governor like that looking to 2024. So I think he is going to deliver a very stark warning to Philadelphia and the nation, but Philadelphia being the bastion of Democratic um, support within the state of Pennsylvania, uh, that they're really high stakes in the election. Yeah, uh, it will be very fascinating. And of course, the speech is really focused on the soul of the nation. And uh, I'm not sure he's going to find the soul of the nation in the speech tonight, because uh, I actually think it happens outside of even Philadelphia, as wonderful as that is. <laughs> Charles, great insight as always. Uh, Charles Lane, editorial writer and columnist at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. So it is going to be a, a fascinating thing to look at. And, and it's so interesting. Again, do we punish our elected officials for keeping their campaign promises? Sometimes we do, because sometimes the campaign promise is just too good to be true. And when it starts to be enacted in policy, there are unintended consequences. Uh, And again, as Charles rightly pointed out, whether it's the withdrawal of Afghanistan, whether it's what happened in the road decision, uh, there are downstream impacts. Uh, We're looking at right now, we're looking at that uh, student loan forgiveness. uh, And what are the the impacts? High level bumper sticker. It's a good one. You dig a little deeper and no one is quite so sure. So it comes down to how do we communicate these principles, these policies? And can we get past just the win or lose can we get past what we're afraid of losing? Can we actually paint a vision? And I think the answer is in this thing we call the soul of the nation. And we're going to continue to talk about that. We want you to chime in as well. 801-575-7668. It's your chance to really sound off and share your vision. What is the soul of the nation? Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor, 
Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.